If you have Bibles, we're going to be turning, spending a, all of our, almost bulk of our time in Luke uh, chapter 9. Uh, now, I, I think it's helpful uh, as we've been spending, this is our fifth week in about seven or eight weeks that it'll take to, to work through this chapter. I think it's helpful to remember uh, why Luke writes this. And I want this to continually be brought to the front of the conversation. Uh, Now, if you'll remember, back in chapter 1, the opening verses, uh, Luke says, I'm writing this account, these eyewitness accounts, so that you may have an orderly account of of who Jesus is. Uh, And that's, that's our pursuit as we walk through the gospel of, of Luke. Now, we've been doing this for about nine and a half chapters, where simply that is just on display over and over and over again. And, and I think rightfully so, uh, because, because the Bible puts Jesus on display so that we would understand he is the heavyweight, undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. Uh, that, that there is no one greater, there is no one more capable of being the treasure and the prize of your life than him. And, and so, so as we talk about that, that there's no greater prize that comes through than, than through the life, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of King Jesus. Uh, and that's what we celebrate. And if you are found in Christ, that, that is the anthem of your life. That's the way we try to portray it here. And, and now, here's the thing. We eagerly wait for his return so that he sets all things right forevermore. Okay? Now, here's the thing. I, I get if, if that might be a little too much for you this morning. Uh, that maybe you came in and you wanted to hear some lame jokes and you wanted three simple steps to how to deal with your boss. Right? But, but the... The pressing that is continual in the Word of God is Jesus is a big deal. And that He is all we need, and what He has accomplished is more than enough. And that's the aim of Luke. And and so we've been spending our time, and and we've kind of said, hey, if if we just wanted to to pick one... Now, we we don't do this because that's a very dangerous game to play, but if we just wanted to take one chapter... Uh, Luke 9 would be a great one to build everything off of. Uh, Because in this chapter, we see almost this complete story being told and shared with us, right? And and we've kind of framed it by asking three questions, and we've been working through this. And and we started with asking this question of of who is Jesus. Uh, And and we saw that week that... um, through three different people, we saw Herod, who was perplexed, but he, he was fine just staying perplexed. Uh, then you saw Peter, who came in and gave this confession that, that he is the Christ. He is God's chosen one. Uh, and Jesus says, yes, but you don't even know how right you are about that, uh, because the time had not yet, has not yet come in, this, in, in the, the timeline of this gospel. And then we saw in the the transfiguration where Jesus was up on the mountaintop. And then, uh, of course, uh, God speaks and says, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And so what we've been trying to listen to brings us to this second question. That that if I'm going to follow Jesus, what follows me? 
And, and we saw that, that, that the first thing that, that we've kind of dealt with is as we follow Jesus, what follows us is, is purpose and power. Uh, as he sends the disciples out, he says, I want you to go proclaim uh, that the kingdom of God is here. I want you to heal people. And so we, we operate understanding that because of the gospel, we today have a reason for living. That we have a purpose for taking steps. And then that led us into uh, the, the feeding of the 5,000, which was much more than just Jesus feeding people, right? Uh, that, that what we found in it was, was insight into who Jesus is, that he is the bread of life. But then secondly, we see expectation for the work of the ministry, that, that the church's role is to go to desolate places and meet the needs of people. And then last week we wrestled with, with a really heavy and a really difficult set of verses where Jesus comes in and he talks about the cost of following him. Uh, and what we said was, was that, that you go through the cross to get to the crown. And, and that's so important for us to understand because it is easy at times to believe that, that the purpose of Jesus going to the cross is so that we can have an easy street kind of a life. Uh, Jesus comes in and he's, he says, he said, you need to walk and understand that each day you deny yourself and you take up your cross and you follow me. Now again, I told you last week that was, that's, that was heavy and that's hard and it should be. Alright? Because Jesus doesn't want us flippantly following him one day and then deciding this was too hard and then walking away. Because Jesus says you build your life on who I am. And now uh, next week we'll, we'll start about one to uh, two or three week um, conversation in, in saying, okay, how does Jesus change my attitudes? Uh, how does it change my attitude with God? How does he change my attitude with other people? And then how does he change our attitude with, with ourselves? And, and so that, that'll kind of bring us completely through uh, this chapter. But, but where we have this morning is, uh, is an account that's also fa- it's found in Luke 9, but it's also found uh, in Matthew 17 and Mark chapter 9. Uh, and we're going to kind of borrow uh, from, from scenes from each of those accounts as well this morning as we build this, this out. Um, but, but really where this leads us is, is how we can walk in triumph because of the truth of Jesus. Okay? Now, uh, again, uh, last week it was, a, it was a hard and a heavy place. Uh, this week, just if you paid attention to what Kelly was reading, we're still going to be in a hard and a heavy place. Okay, uh, now, now I mentioned that because I, I think everything we're going to read this morning uh, and everything we're going to walk through is an encouragement to us. Uh, it's hel- it, it, it helps build us firmly where we want to be. And so, uh, so let's, let's kind of connect the dots here. Okay, so, so in verse 28, you have the transfiguration. So, so Jesus goes up to the mountain with Peter, James, and John, right? And up on that mountain, all of, they were praying, and all of a sudden, uh, two guys appear. Uh, and Jesus, his appearance changes. It's a beautiful, majestic scene. And, and these two guys appear, and it's Moses, and it's Elijah, and they're talking to Jesus about what's about to happen in Jerusalem. And as we get there, uh, I don't think we'll be there this year. Uh, but, but when we get there, they're talking about what Jesus is going to accomplish when he goes into Jerusalem and what he will do on the cross. And, and there's this 
this scene where uh, as it's wrapping up, Peter steps up to the plate and he says, hey, let's live here, right? And he's almost completely ignored. Uh, in fact, uh, nobody addresses what Peter says. And, and I think it's rightfully so because Peter wants to live on the mountaintop and, and dare we live on the mountaintop when there are battles to be fought in the valley, right? And, and so, so this voice and this cloud overshadows, and this is when God speaks, and he says, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. Now, now I want you to connect that dot, because Jesus is only going to say two things today uh, in this passage, but this is connected to that. So, so they're coming down the mountain, and, and uh, verse 37 uh, opens with the next day. It says, the next day, uh, Jesus, Peter, James, John are coming down the mountain. And this scene, which opens and appears to be pretty casual, turns to be very intense uh, quickly. Uh, so, so as they're coming down, uh, we find that this is uh, a man walks up to Jesus, and this man has an only son. Now, fun fact, okay? Are you ready for a fun fact? Uh, over the last three chapters, we've had three encounters where Jesus is healing or rescuing or bringing back to life only children. That if we go back to chapter 7, Jesus is walking up, right? And as he's walking into the city, there's a funeral progression, and there's a widow who has an only son. Uh, and he prays over him, brings him back to life. Chapter 8, you have Jairus, uh, who has an only daughter, who is needing to be raised back to life. And here in chapter 9, you find this man who has an only son, uh, who is possessed by a demon. Now, now I don't really know all there is to that, but I think there's something worth considering uh, as we talk about the intensity of having an only child and then the desperation that comes when you feel you're going to lose that only child. So Jesus comes in. Uh, this, this father comes to Jesus and he says, um, I have this son, he's my only son, and the spirit overtakes him and it brings him to convulsions, he's foaming at the mouth, it shatters his body. Uh, Mark will tell us, in the Gospel of Mark, it will tell us that, that he grinds his teeth, uh, that, that at times it throws him into the fire or into the water. To, uh, to destroy him. And, and I think it's important that because all of his symptoms would appear to be what we would consider epilepsy, uh, that he has these seizures and he goes, he becomes rigid. Um, but, but, but I think it's important that we would note that I don't believe this is a case for, for epilepsy and they didn't know what to call it back then because Luke will draw our attention to the fact that this is a demon who is overtaking this child. And then Jesus will speak at this demon, and he will have to vacate and leave forevermore. Okay? So, so there's that case to be made. So Jesus, um, uh, the, the dad says, hey, I brought this to your disciples early. They couldn't do much. And then Jesus will say, it's a hard word. We'll get to it. Uh, and then he says, bring the son to me. He tells the demon to leave. And then the son's restored and then people celebrate, says they marvel at Jesus, they marvel at the majesty of God, and then he'll turn around and he'll look at his disciples in the middle of the scene, and he'll say, I'm about to die again. He'll tell them again, I'm about to die. And so, so, so what I want us to do is I want us to look very specifically at these two things, these two statements 
that Jesus makes this morning. In fact, we're going to call them red letter statements, mainly because in your Bible, uh, in a lot of our Bibles, uh, the words of Jesus are red lettered. Uh, and so some of you are like, oh, that's why that is. Uh, when you see the red letters, that's because Jesus said them. Uh, and so, so we, we come into this, and Jesus is going to say two different things. And we'll, we'll address the, the first one uh, from verse 41, because uh, they, they appear to be pretty harsh words. And they appear to be very heavy. In fact, he looks at them, and the Father has said... Um, Hey, uh, your disciples couldn't help. What can you do? And Jesus will say this, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son to me. Bring the son here. O faithless and twisted generation. Now here's what we need to, to note, is that Jesus is very much equal opportunity when it comes to moments like this. Okay? In, in, the, in, in the Gospels, when Jesus sees a faith being put on display, he affirms it. And he looks around and he says that. He says, that's the kind of faith we're talking about. That's who, that's who you want to be. That's the kind of faith you want to carry in every single day of your life. He wants to see that. And he celebrates that. Now, is he's equal opportunity that when he sees doubt or he sees disbelief, he says, oh, faithless generation. And he points out and he says, that's the problem. That's the problem. That's the problem. You don't want to do that. It's remarkable when he does those things. Because in both situations, he's expressing love. He's, he's, a, he's like a good coach uh, that's, that's holding a standard. Uh, I, rem- I remember when I was uh, growing up playing sports um, back in black and white television days. You know, we only listened to the radio. And, but but I, I remember hearing my, one of my coaches say this. It was my, uh, my basketball coach. He said, you know, you really have to start worrying when we don't get on to you anymore. Because a coach who is unwilling to hold the standard has given up on you. And so, so Jesus comes into these moments and he's like, no, no, no. That needs to be celebrated. That needs to be corrected. And it's because he loves you. Because he believes in you. And so he doesn't say, you know, let's just water down the standard. He comes in and he says, no, guys, here's, here's the issue. And so, so what he says lands heavy because he says, you were unsuccessful because you were part of a faithless generation. And we'll, we'll find in the other accounts that, that faith is the issue on the table for why the disciples couldn't do what they set out to do. Uh, in fact, um, Jesus said, because you lack faith, this causes you to twist the purpose of God. Uh, in Matthew, he will say, um, your issue is you have little faith. And then, then he'll build that out. And he'll say, you know, if you have faith that's the size of the grain of a mustard seed, you could tell this mountain to go from here to there and it will happen and, and nothing will be impossible for you. Now, now that's a verse and now it's really, I, I, I hesitate to even bring that out because we're not going to unpack it because it's really easy to create a theology that can be very dangerous to where God doesn't hold up to your whims. Okay? But, but what he says is the issue on the table for why you could not release that demon in my name is because you lack the faith. 
And so, so faith activates our awareness of the movement of God and it partners us with what He's doing. That's what faith does. It, it activates our awareness of the movement of God and it partners us with what He's doing. The, the book of Hebrews will open up and they'll talk about faith being the sh- assurance of things hoped for. Hoped for. And so, 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 so if we hope for the wrong things, then we will put our faith in the wrong things. You with? Is that, is that a fair enough statement? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And if we hope in the, for the wrong things, we'll put our faith in the wrong things. And, and that's why Hebrews will continue and say, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And so, so here's what I know about faith, because I know this about my faith. That in these times when my faith is small, it's a reflection of a heart that's trying to serve a little God or no God at all. And so, so, so faith, a little faith is a reflection of a heart that's trying to serve a little God or no God at all. Now, now we're in the middle of this scene, right? And we see Jesus talk about, hey, you, you are part of a, uh, you are faithless in a twisted generation. And so, so our question is, how do we avoid that, Right? Like if, if the Bible is putting the disciples on the display in this moment and they say, how do we avoid being faithless and how do we avoid being part of a twisted generation? And, and where we go from there is a word from Paul in Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, and, and now, the easy way of, of describing this is saying we, we suit it up. Paul will say this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. He says, put on the the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic power over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, okay, so, so because this battle is raging and it's waging in our presence in this time, he will say, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Okay, now, now here's what I, I want to interject. These verses are not just for a Sunday school classroom. Okay? They're not just intended to give kids a picture of what armor looks like, okay? So, so Paul comes in, he says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. He says, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances. In, in what circumstances? There we go. Just making sure you're hearing, right? In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit uh, which is the Word of God, 
praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert and with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And, and then he'll, he'll continue. Uh, but, but we, so, so if our question is, how do we avoid being part of a faithless generation and a twisted generation, Paul would tell you, suit up. He says you wake up every single day and you suit up. And now, now what dawns on me is, is it possible that many of our struggle with faith is because we're like a child who's made our own armor out of cardboard boxes. And so, so when, when the winds and the rain comes, or when the rock is thrown at you, everything crumbles because we've created cardboard boxes. And they're not able to withstand the onslaught of the wars that are raging. So, so we untwist. We untwist through faith that God has equipped us for such a time as this. Like in this very moment, you realize that, that, that it is in the forbearance of God, He has placed you into His story right now. So, so this issue that we're seeing in Luke chapter 9 was specifically for the disciples. But, but for today, he looks at us, and I'm wondering if he says, Oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to bear with you? So this is, again, Jesus' response here is just, a, a, his rebuke is a mercy, right? For him to be silent in this moment is unloving. And, and I think so because the aim of the gospel, the aim of the gospel is freedom, not, com, not condemnation. That's what it is. He says, hey, here's, here's the issue on the table. And because I am loving, uh, I want you to live in freedom. I don't want you to live uh, uh, in condemnation. I, I want you to live with joy, not shame. And so he comes in and he says these hard words so that we can see Jesus. And that's, that's going to lead us into the, the second red letter statement that he makes in this passage. Uh, so, so verse 43, Jesus heals this boy, right? Let's not get over that fact, okay? Let's not get over the fact that, that he just says, hey, you need to vacate, and the demon leaves. Okay? So, and, and I say that because he has told us that what you do in my name shall be done. Okay, so, so that power has been transferred through the power of the Holy Spirit into our lives. Okay, so we don't overlook that, but as we make our way there, it says that, that the people, he returns his, the son to the father, and it says that the people were marveling at the, or they were astonished, uh, or how about we just look it up? There we go. Says they were all astonished at the majesty of God. And here's what here's what I know Hebrews, which is man, an incredible book. But Hebrews will open talking about who Jesus is, and they will say he is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of the nature 
of God. He upholds the universe by the power of his word. So make no mistake in this scene. What Jesus has done, and the people are astonished, and they are astonished at the majesty of God, they're blown away by Jesus. They're blown away by who he is. And that's where we get to to verse 44. It says, uh, in this middle of marveling and celebrating who Jesus is, he, he turns to his guys, and I don't, I, don't know, I don't know how this really plays out, because like this is a moment, right? Like you've, you're celebrating. Like imagine go, you, you watch the guys who win the Super Bowl or the World Series, and they're all spraying champagne on each other, and they're all bouncing around. And it's like in this moment, he looks at him and he goes, I'm about to die, guys. In fact, he says it this way. Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of man. Now, now make, make no mistake. This scene is priceless, not because of uh, the fact that this demon was cast out. It was not, it's not priceless because there was a miracle that was put on display that the greatest thing about Jesus, the priceless thing about Jesus, is his cross and his resurrection. Okay? So, so they're dazzled. They're dazzled in this moment, but belief is more than astonishment. And Jesus seems to be very aware of, of the gravity of this scene. And he says, in this moment of celebration, I want you to take that, but I don't want you to think this is all that it's about. And he looks at them. And he says, I want you, he presses this truth as it sinks into their minds so that it can make its way to their hearts. And this is the, this is the third time in this chapter we get this illusion, right? Peter, Peter confesses and Jesus says, hey guys, um, don't tell anybody I'm the Christ because I'm going to die in Jerusalem. We saw in the transfiguration. That, that Moses, Elijah, Jesus are all having a conversation about what's about to take place in Jerusalem. And then here he looks at them and he says, uh, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. And so Jesus is, is reminding us in this moment that in, in foretelling the, that the resurrection power that's about to be put on display. That's helpful for us. Because that resurrection power works for us today. Jesus doesn't come to just destroy one demon. He, he comes to destroy sin and death forever. And that's what we marvel at. Like all those things are just cool. But, but when Jesus comes to, to give his life, to lay his life down as a ransom for many, and then when he takes his life back up, which he said he would do, and then he ascends after the resurrection... That's what we celebrate. Because that's where we find our identity. That's where we find our, our hope. And, and we can celebrate the, the exorcism here, but, but we really we worship the one who is the majesty of God. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. And so He says, Let this sink 
end. The time is about to be here when it will look like I'm losing, but I'm telling you this in advance so that you will know there is not a moment. There's not a moment God has not ordained here. There's not a fraction of a second He has not put this plan into motion. So let this sink in because you're going to feel that we are losing and I assure you this moment is foreseen and anticipated and will lead to your faith being set in motion for the glory of my Father and when that happens it'll be because my Father's timing is perfect and His love for you is fierce. That's what He says. So I'm going to start wrapping this up. It's it's ironic you know, because he says these things and we we read these things and then it's confusing uh, when it says, uh, but they did not understand the same. <laughs> You're like, did they not understand the language that Jesus is speaking? And I think we can, we can cut them some slack because uh, God concealed the fullness of this truth for them, Right? God, God concealed it because the time had not come, and I think we should we should probably uh, tread lightly uh, because you know these the disciples. Do you realize this? Uh, the disciples walk with Jesus for about three years, uh, and then then the Holy Spirit will come, and then they will set the world on fire. Okay, uh, but they they walk with Him for three years, and we get in these moments where we're like, how do they not see? This It's so clear when the fact that, that many of us have been walking with Jesus for decades and we're still running around in cardboard armor. And we're like, no, 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 this fits. I mean, it's not very functional. I can't go to war with it. But Jesus looks and says, faithless and twisted generation. And, and I wonder if, if perhaps we can learn much from these guys. So, so Jesus is speaking about the type and the amount of faith that we're living in. That's the issue. Why, why couldn't we heal this boy? And, and Jesus will say, you know, these kind of uh, moments are, are for prayer and fasting. And so he's re- responding to what kind of a faith do we need as we live in this world. And, and here's what I know. That, that if we can't walk in faith knowing that Jesus equips us to stand firm, then we're always going to struggle with a faith that involves trusting Him with our lives. Okay, let me, let me just say that again. If, if we can't walk in a faith knowing that Jesus equips us to stand firm, then we're going to struggle with the faith involved in trusting Him with our lives. So I wonder, I wonder where we are as, as a church with, with our desire to grow up in our faith. Because again, a lot of us are like, man, I'm really, I really like this life that I've built. I really like the comforts of it. And, and though, though it doesn't, I'm not completely happy with where I'm at spiritually, I'm also not completely unhappy. And so, so I'm fine with living in this kind of middle ground. And then we wonder when we have moments like 
this, where there's a need and we're praying or we're trying to, to, to move mountains, we're like, well, why can't I do that? The Bible says if I just wish hard enough, right? If I just cross my fingers, it'll all work out. And it doesn't say that, by the way. But it's, it's, it's the mercy of God in these verses, guys. Where he says, you can live in faith and not be a faithless person. That you can do what I am doing. And I think the beauty of the Holy Spirit is, is God working through uh, in us and through us for the glory of God. So I wonder, I, I keep coming back to this armor thing. What, what kind of, if you are in Christ, what kind of armor are you running around in? Are you suited up so you can stand firm in these last days? You realize that we've been in the last days since the Bible started saying the last days? That, that when we read that the times are changing, they've always been changing? When we read that there, when Paul will say uh, there's a time when, when men will hear what only their itching ears want to hear and they will, they will wander off into myths, that that's always been the case. So you and I have been brought into this story for such a time as this. And what's required for the journey is a faith that is continually growing continually getting stronger and we get stronger by seeing the goodness of God played out time and time and time again I love you guys let me pray for us if you need prayer today we, we're gonna there'll be some people over here they would love to pray with you if you've never given Jesus your heart you're, you're walking through life just completely naked without hope we, we would love the opportunity to share with you the hope of the Christ. Father, we come to you and we thank you. We're, we're mindful of your movement. Father, I pray we would be, if at first just a remnant of people who understand the importance of faith, Father, help us hope for the things that you want us to hope for. Help us walk in belief, not disbelief. Help us, help us be a people that, that when you give us opportunities to, to speak and to serve and to put your power on display, that we would do so. Father, move in us, and around us, and through us. Help us be more comfortable with your movement than we are our, our laziness. It's in Jesus' name.
Amen.